Hey, buddies. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of More with Stumpo. If you're new here, thank you so much for taking the time out of your really busy schedule. If you're a continuing listener, again, I still thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedule. Today's episode was a lot different for me. So I speak with actually the two, uh, they have their own podcast called the Dear Chiefs Podcast. I highly recommend that you guys check it out. If you have a spouse, I highly recommend that you kind of point your spouse in that direction of listening to them because they are firefighter wives of 15 plus years. So they have a ton of experience of what it's like to be a solo parent. I believe that's the correct term that they use during the podcast of what it's like raising children with a firefighter being gone at work. Now their schedule for their husband is actually a lot different. Uh, They do a lot longer tours than what normally around guys like us do around here. We do 2448s. One of her husbands does a 4896. And the other one, I still don't fully understand it, but it seems that he works for three days on and then has a few days off and then goes back and can actually work longer days than that. So it's really interesting. They have a lot of insight of how to get a good schedule with a firefighter, how to set boundaries emotionally, physically. Uh, It's a very interesting podcast, a very interesting episode. I highly recommend it. Again, check out their podcast. It's called Dear Chiefs Podcast. And I hope you guys really enjoy this episode. All right, ladies, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me on my podcast. Thank you for taking, thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules and also waking up so early just to come on to mind since there's a three-hour difference. So both of you, uh, if you could introduce yourselves to the audience that are listening here, I would really appreciate that. Well, good morning. Uh, I'm Audra. I am one of the co-hosts of Dear Chiefs podcast. And I'm Chelsea, and I'm the other co-host of Dear Chiefs Podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you again. Oh, go ahead, please. Sorry. Um, Both of our husbands work for different fire departments in California. So my husband's a municipal, and Chelsea's husband works for, should we say the state? Yeah, the state. Yeah. Oh, God. Well, I was actually (laughs) just asking that, where do your husbands work at? So, um. Thank you again so much. This has actually been a topic for me that I've been wanting to hit on for a while to kind of speak to the fire wives to, to kind of understand what it's like emotionally for them and what it's like being alone at the house while their husbands are at work, obviously having, you know, a horrible time because they're missing you ladies so much. So that's what we're going to go with. (laughs) So. (laughs) Oh gosh, you're funny, Matt. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, <laughs> you didn't catch the part where you were laughing, at least. So now it sounds like I'm a total loser. So, but yeah, so with them being gone, um, so obviously a quick story about me for the people who uh who do know me, who are personally friends with me, you do know that I went through a divorce last year. And uh something that's been in my mind the last few months is what was going on emotionally for my ex. What was going on for the guys' wives now? You guys have a fantastic podcast. It is called the Dear, Dear Chiefs Podcast. And where is that found? Oh, you any can find it anywhere. Find the listening, any listening app. Okay, perfect. So um, so anybody who's listening here now, I'd go follow them. They're on Instagram as well. The Firewise Podcast on Instagram. Is that what it is? No, it's no, it's podcast. Dear, okay. Well, why does it keep popping up on my phone as Firewise? <laughs> I don't know. So anyways. Uh, it's in our heading, maybe. Like it, it says Firewife like, podcast underneath. Yeah. I don't know. Now I got to look. So, yeah. 
Yeah. So underneath it says Firewife Podcast. Okay. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into why did you guys start your own podcast? Um, so fun fact about us, Chelsea and I actually met on Instagram, um, during, well, previous, previous to prior to, there we go, brain prior to the pandemic. So we had been talking back and forth. Um, and then we kind of both felt like there was a need for, um, us as wives of first responders to tell our story. And there wasn't a lot of, um, good podcasts we could find that were dedicated specifically to the families and the spouses of, um, firefighters. So we just said, screw it and started the podcast during the pandemic. And, um, it's been wildly successful and it just goes to show that there was indeed a huge need for our side of the story. And I might add that uh, we talked about my doing a podcast and Audra's like, can you record tomorrow? <laughs> it wasn't like, <laughs> yes, planned at all. <laughs> so I'm the type of person that like, when you say yes, I'm like, let's go like full throttle. We just, let's just do it. And I just ripped the bandaid and go. And Chelsea was like, okay, sure. Let's just do it. And it's been actually amazing. So last was it last year or the year before i was talking to damien about this the other day did we meet last year or the year before in person last year i can't even remember it's so bad because the years are all blended together but so we actually finally met in person and um well that was really the only one time we've met in person but we pretty much talk every single week uh and we're always talking online and by a text message. So we've just developed this really good relationship and um, it's worked out really great. Well, I'm excited to finally have you ladies on. So with you guys being the fire wives, there is stuff that when I talk with the guys at work that always comes up is dealing with the stress of having to break bad news to your wife or your girlfriend, whoever you live with. What has been a way that you ladies have noticed when you notice that your fireman is dealing with a lot of stress from work, what has been something that you thought to yourself, this is how I should go about it? Or how does he need to go about dealing with this type of anxiety or stress? That's kind of a loaded question because we have a podcast. We talk about this every single episode. So. I, I know. That's what I, kind of, I want you to kind of throw out because you guys do so much on your podcast. Yes, <laughs> um, so I think when we were new firewives, we were probably just as stressed out as they were, right? Like they were coming home stressed. It was stressing us out. Um, we didn't really know how to deal with it. But both of us have been married to our guys now for 15 years. And we've kind of developed a way of getting them to stop being stressed when they get home. Um, so I don't know how you want us to answer this question. Do you want us to answer this question as new firewives or as seasoned salty old firewives? Seasoned, salty, young firewives. <laughs> yes. 
salty. No, no we really are salty old pet wives. <laughs> we are. We're pretty cranky now, I think. <laughs> we are so jaded. Um, <laughs> okay. So I would say Audra and I both have a routine that we have with our firefighter. Um, Audra's situation is a little different than mine. So I'm going to speak to the the long absences because my husband gets forced on duty for endless days. Um, so, and he sees a lot of big fires, big campaign fires, a lot of, um, in the most recent years, a lot of death. Um, and it's, it's been tough. So, um, one of the first things I would say is that you need to establish a coming home routine. So if they've been gone for a long time, um, we need to reconnect as spouses. And if we have children, we need to do that before we reconnect with our children. Um, we need to get in a quiet space, go for a walk, have a cup of coffee, just kind of spend 30, 40 minutes just kind of getting acquainted with each other again. Because even after four days, that person's gone through so much that you don't even know about. Um, and so have we at home. So it's, first of all, communicate always, but make sure it's in a safe space. Um, when they're coming home, it's not the time to be like giving them the rundown of <laughs> all the things that have happened to you in the last week and all the things we need to do right now. Um, it's a time for them to come home and kind of just be. Secondly, um, they need to rest. So handing them a honeydew list on their first day off is not the way to go about things. Give them, you know, half a day to chill. If they need to sleep, let them sleep. Um, and then maybe the next day you can kind of introduce a honeydew list. <laughs> um, but remember that they've been working like nonstop. Um, I don't know how it is for Audra, but like when Cameron was on an engine, he isn't now. But when he's on an engine, I mean, they'd run calls all night long, all day long. There was no real downtime for them. So, yeah, that would be my my thing is communicate in a safe space. Talk about your day. Talk about your week. Um, and let them rest before you hand them the to-do list. And don't check out. Like, don't hand them the kids and leave. Like, <laughs> I know that a lot of like younger wives do that. And I'm guilty. I did it too. And I'm sure, I'm sure Audra's shaking her head. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, because we ultimately want to break. We've been with the kids three, four, 10, 20 days. And we just want to like go to the spa or take a walk by ourselves or yeah, even take a shower without children, like with us. Um, but when they first get home, it's not the time to like hand the kids to them and be like, um so <laughs> so that would yeah. be one thing I don't think I've ever like thought to myself well how can I make him stop be stressing out I think more I feed off of his stress if I we don't have that I'm gonna come home and have that cup of coffee have some breakfast just chill um and open leave an open space for him to just kind of like talk um but also now that we're older like we've we've established that like we we talk every day so he calls me when it's downtime and we, you know, have a 30, 40 minute conversation, sometimes longer if, if we can, um, every single day. So we're not really doing that catch up thing so much anymore, but I know that like, that's not practical for everyone. So. Yeah. 
I would say I pretty much agree with everything Chelsea said. Um, it's a little bit different for us because my husband's municipal. So um, it depends on what station he's at. Um, and if he if he's at the busy station and I know he's been going nonstop um, for two days, three days, maybe four days, depending on overtime. Um, now I'm like, guys, dad is going to come home and be tired and cranky let's give him some space like very upfront with the kids like dad had a really bad night let's give him some slack let him decompress before we start bombarding him with stuff the good thing is now that the kids are older they're not usually home when he gets home if it's a weekday they're at school um so he has a lot of time to come down and kind of get his bearings before the kids get home um, and he is far enough away where he's got, you know, an hour commute. So he's not decompressing, but at least getting a little bit in a calmer space on his way home. And I think Cameron had that too. Uh, Chelsea's husband had that too, because he had quite a commute. Used to have. He quite still a commute, does so. two and a half hours. Is it still two and a half hours? Oh my God. Better um, than five. <laughs> yeah. So. I think, you know, hindsight is always uh, an interesting thing. And I just posted about this today. Um, you know, our routine was always so off when the kids were little. And I was just pissed off probably 24-7 for mm, probably like five years. And I think um, during that time, it was because I was so fixated on my stuff and making sure the kids were, you know, doing this, 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 and he would come home and just blow up our whole routine. And I couldn't figure out how to fit him in to our life. And I wasn't even giving him the opportunity to come home and fit into our life. I was like, either you figure it out or I can't help you. Instead of me going, wait a minute, dad's been gone for two days. This is probably really hard for him to come back in here and integrate back into our lives. I was not in the space to even care. I was way in my own head. And looking back, I think, I mean, our marriage is not perfect. And there were definitely times five years ago, even six years ago, when I was so wrapped up in my own shit, I was not paying attention to what was going on with him. And it caused a lot of problems in our marriage and not saying that you have to be 100% involved in your spouse and not care about anything else, but you have to at least have some space and opportunity for your marriage and your life with your husband. It can't just be solely focused on your kids 24 seven. It's not possible. And it's going to create a huge, huge issue. So I would add, I would add that you also have to have personal goals and shared goals. Yeah, uh, I think that that's the key to happiness at home and at work is that he's got his stuff that he's going on at work. He's trying to get promoted. He's trying to like just make it through the day. He's, you know, got all these responsibilities. He's got paperwork to do all this stuff. Um, and at home, we have similar things going on, too. Um, and the goal could just be to make it through the day. Mm -hmm. But you have to have a personal goal because if you're not doing something to fulfill yourself, there's no way that person's going to fulfill you at all. 
Um, and then you have to communicate what those goals are. So you have your personal goals and then you have your shared goals as a family. Um, you know, one of our goals every year is to make sure we get a vacation, like take the time, um, get the kids to the beach on his days off and go surfing and just be a family. Um, and you know, whatever those shared goals are, we have to be talking about them. So, and checking in and saying, how can I help you get to the goal that you've got set for yourself and making sure that we support whatever that is. Yeah. So this is a realm of which for me is so outside of my comfort zone with the wife side, obviously, because it's, it's something that I normally don't talk with, with the wives and asking them like, so what is it that you deal with at home? Do you, but the question that has kind of been brought up in my head is, do you feel like a single mother at a lot of times or in the beginning? I never would. I never said single mom. I said solo parenting because I'm not a single mom. I have a spouse, so I can't ever say that I identify as a single mother because I don't know what that's like. I've always been married. So I just occasionally a solo parent and sometimes I solo parent more than I would like. Um, but there's plenty of times when my husband has also solo parented when I have not been around. So, um, not a single mom. And I would hope that parents understand that there's a huge difference between being a single parent and solo parenting because it's completely different. It is completely different. I actually was a single mom before I met my husband. So I can speak to that, uh, honestly in Raleigh, single parenting is the toughest thing a person can possibly ever do. And I have major amount of respect for women who do it every single day. So I would never call myself a single parent in that regard. Um, we do spend a lot of time parenting our children apart. I would call it parenting apart. Um, and probably up until about three years ago, I, I did feel like I was alone, um, a lot of the time. And I took that on, on my spouse, which was completely unfair. Um, I think we were like, Audra said, we get so wrapped up in our feelings and all the things that we have going on and the things we're doing for the kids and the things the kids have to do. And we forget that they're missing out they're missing out and it's not fair for us to put that on them. Um, Mm -hmm. Our stresses at home are not their stresses at work and vice versa. And so if we want them to not bring their shit home, we can't give our home shit to them. You know what I mean? Like, yep. And so calling yourself a single parent is not fair because you're not, there is another person who, you know, love those children just as much as you do and miss them every single day that they're at work and want to be here and don't want to be missing the things. And so, no, we're not single parents. We don't feel like single parents. We're parenting apart or we're solo parenting today, but I can call my spouse and be like, dude, this just happened and I need your help. And he may not be able to be here, but he can make a phone call or he'll be like, let's table that discussion until I get home or whatever needs to happen. Um, and if it's an emergency situation, he'll come home. Like that's, that's happened so many times with us in the last couple of years. Having teenagers is tough, man. Um, Mm -hmm. serious shit blow up in our house in the last couple of years. And I think Audra's had some similar situations that we have. And so I'm thankful that I have a spouse and that I'm not single parenting. 
Um, so yes, I'll get off my soapbox now, but that was a really loaded question. <laughs> but we agree. Yeah. No, no, we're not single parents. Um, so with your guys' relationships with your husbands, um, what is a healthy way of starting that conversation of communication with your husband and his career field on how, when you do come home, how are we going to go about this? Cause you, you hit on it earlier, but just to start that conversation, how should the wives, if the wives want to start that conversation, if not the men could, how could they do that? I think that we've gone, we've talked about this before. Um, the best way to do that is to ask them how they want to be received at home and what would help them in the transition. Um, because I don't know what they need unless they tell me right. And vice versa. So I think having that conversation really early on in the marriage, would really be helpful for a lot of people. It would have been helpful for us for sure. Um, yes. if, if we had, we had heard somebody say that, like day one, that would have been really nice. Um, but you know, 15 years later, we're finally like, <laughs> finally <laughs> figured it out, but it's just asking really how, when you come home, what, what do you need or want to your routine to be? Um, and let them really tell you because we're not the ones coming home. We're here. Yeah. And I think, um, like you said, Chelsea, uh, in the beginning, it was like, you, you, we just assumed you knew what to do and, and how to work your way back in. It's not true at all. Nobody is a mind reader. You have to ask questions. You have to be able to be vulnerable and say, I don't like the way this happened. Can we figure out how to make this better? How to get you you know, more comfortable when you walk through the door? So I'm not up your ass and you don't want to be here and you want to go back to work. We don't want that. So I think it's like Chelsea said, hundred percent communication. If somebody had said, Hey, you might want to ask your husband um, how he feels about coming home or vice versa. Maybe, Hey husband, you might want to ask your wife, like what's the easiest way for you to integrate back into the house? And no I think one... also integrating out of the house, like how yes. do you want my last few hours in this house to be because they're not just leave they're not just coming home they're also leaving mm -hmm. so what do I need to help you with before I go to work I love I have to say like my my husband is so so attentive to this like he stacks my firewood for me outside my door every time that he comes home before he leaves he takes the garbage out he you know he does things that help me throughout the week so that I don't have to do them um, and he's taught our children to help their parent, like help your mom. I expect that you help your mom, not in a way of like that they are the men of the house necessarily or responsible, but help your mom out. If she asks you to do something, do it. If there's something that you can see she's struggling with, help her out. And, you know, they're teenagers now, so they're better at it than they were when they were little, but there's always been this expectation that they help. Um, and so I think ask your spouse how you want them to leave the house too like because I guarantee you there are things that you are doing before you leave that annoy the crap out of your spouse and vice versa <laughs> um so please like Cameron was forever leaving laundry for me to fold like it happened for years and it just pissed me off 
to the point where it was like, you need to stop leaving me laundry. You know, like this is not okay. <laughs> um, and that's just one example of the thing, like he consciously tries very hard to like finish the laundry up before he leaves. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. That would be, it's not always just about the transition home. It's also about the transition out of the house. I would also add that one of the best things that I've ever heard in my entire life for advice is be curiously compassionate. Be curious. If you have a question, ask, don't assume that you can find the answer because your spouse is the only one that can answer the question about themselves. So mm -hmm. whatever you read on the internet may not be true. <laughs> you what, know what, what I mean? What or, right. What in retrospect are you speaking on? Cause that's curiously compassionate. What would be an example for that? So let's say like Audra said, like, I know he's at a busy station today and you know, did you sleep last night? Okay. And are you tired? And what can I do to help? That's curiously compassionate, right? I know you're tired. What could the spouses do to help understand the life of a firefighter? I think it's impossible to understand, like, because we are not them, right? I think, um, we only know what they share. And so we're always going to have, you know, it really depends on who you're married to and how much they divulge and how much you as a spouse can take. So I know there's some spouses out there who do not want to know. Um, I've gone through periods in our marriage when I've been like, you know what? I can't handle this. I don't want to know what happened when he comes home and he's telling me about some crazy call and I'm knee deep in diapers or whatever, you know, where, wherever I was at that time. And I just could not handle it. Um, and it's, it's just one of those things where it's, I only know what he tells me and his perspective because I'm married to him. I'm not married to the job like he is. Um, so every firefighter's perspective is different. What they share with their family is going to be different. So, um, it's impossible to say, um, and it, it's impossible for any spouse, I think, to, um, nail it down. Plus it changes all the time, all the time. So I think you have to be in a space, um, when, you know, you marry a person, you have to be in a space to constantly change with them. If you're standing still, there's probably something wrong. Um, that's my philosophy, I think, because nothing is ever the same. You have to be open to constant change um, and go with the flow and just be okay with that. And that, again, like Chelsea and I keep saying, like, if we had known this 15 years ago, I would say we probably wouldn't have needed um, couples therapy. I mean, maybe we would have just for fun, but like, there's a Everybody lot of stuff. Everybody needs couples therapy, Audra. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody <laughs> needs therapy. Questions that I've got down. Um, do you, uh, real quick, I wanted to ask this, then I wanted to move on to couples therapy because that's exactly what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> do you ever feel that your spouse puts the job in front of your marriage? I think yeah. it's a give and a take. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. I think they do, and I think they have to. I think mm -hmm. that it would be dangerous if they didn't. And yes. I, 
I know that they have work family and then they have our family and sometimes our family's priority and sometimes their fam their other family is priority. And I used to resent that, like honestly, like used to resent that. But now I understand that in order for them to be able to do their job and be safe, their other family has to take priority sometimes. Yep. Never ever should they take priority out fam our family should come first absolutely all the time but it's a give and take situation the job does have to come first at some point um when they're at work absolutely like they can't be worrying about what's going on at home so we need to make sure that we're taking care of business um but yeah i think that it's all it's all the time like all the time is taking priority and it should be yeah I think when they're at home, we have really good boundaries in place where, um, you know, they still can, you know, obviously you're, you're a firefighter hundred percent all the time, right? They, there's no magic switch to turn it off when they're at home. But if you put good pound boundaries in place, like, Hey, okay, I'm going to give you an hour to tell me about whatever you want to tell me about work. And then let's not talk about it for the rest of the day. And, but he also gives me the same courtesy where he's like, what do you need to tell me? Let's talk about it freely. And then let's not, or if we need to table it and talk about it later, we'll do that. But it's one of those things where it's like, it's important for him to also shut it off um, when he needs to. So, you know, if we give him that space where we're like, okay, give us everything and then let's stop and let's return to dad mode or whatever the case may be, you know? I think that like somebody said to us once that you can't leave home at home and you can't leave work at work. Mm -hmm. So you're one person, you're not two people, you can't split yourself in half. And so, yeah, your priorities are going to change based on where you are. Um, that being said, we also have like a very strict, like no phone calls or texts from work while we're on dates or while we're spending time as a family, the phone gets shut off or put on silent mode or whatever, so that we're not interrupting family time. Yep. Uh, and I think that's like really, really important because you could, I mean, our husbands are captains, so like they could be being interrupted all day long if they let their people interrupt them. Um, mm -hmm. And it's just going to get worse as they promote up through rank. Um, so, you know, we've already had those conversations. Like once you're, once you promote, like there's going to have to be certain hours where you're not going to be constantly on your phone, like talking to people at work. Like that's just, it's going to, there's going to have to be some serious boundaries. Um, so yeah, so I think that was more of a question than answer than you wanted. <laughs> so in case you were saying like, stay off your phone, Matt, like I'm like, I'm taking notes. Um, <laughs> Taking notes well, is okay. Was, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always feel bad when I'm doing this because I'll be staring down at my phone, like typing up extra questions. Uh, a lot of the stuff's just off the top of my head because it's what I'm generally interested in. Um, you mentioned something about when he doesn't shut off. And that gets in my head that I remember that I had an experience that uh, it hasn't bothered me as much lately, but it bothered me for a while. And I don't have... If you, if you guys don't mind, if I share a little bit of it, it was an 18 year old that got crushed and, um, I was the ride out officer that day. He was working at Aldi's warehouse, which I don't know if you guys have Aldi's out in California It's Aldi's is a, uh, yeah, it's, it's a cheaper store to go to, uh, mar market to go get food and stuff like that. It's a lot cheaper. So, okay. 
so he was working at their warehouse, which is this giant warehouse we have in our district. And he's 18 years old. He was cutting boundaries inside of their protocols. Um, so he was not following their uh, OSHA requirements or OSHA. Uh, yeah, well, whatever. So he hit the ramp button for it to come down to load up a trailer and snuck around the side of it, the back of it, to go open up the trailer door on the semi-truck trailer. It had a load in it. All the load was pushed to the back, and he couldn't open it. So he turns around, and the ramp comes down slowly on him and just suffocated him all the way down. Well, I had to make the call whether to try to work him or not. And seeing that, seeing he's 18 years old, his life is just, he's he's fresh at life, just got the opportunity to become a young man, and he died a slow, painful death. I come home to tell this to my ex-wife, my, my wife at the point. She had no idea what to do, no idea how to handle me as the, um, I mean, because I'm not by any means a small person. So comp me compared to her, I am a giant compared to her. And she doesn't understand how to deal with this giant person coming to her saying, I am hurting. I need to talk to you. I need, I need a motherly figure right now to hold me and let me cry in your lap or let me cry on your shoulders. Like I, she just didn't know how to, how to handle it. How would you help other firewives with how to handle something like that? What is it they can do to prepare? First of all, I don't think there's any preparation for it because uh, I I don't know. Well, I shouldn't say that. I take that back. Um, I would say, well, first of all, being where I am now, Chelsea's going to laugh probably. I would say, um, did you go to uh, any kind of debriefing after that call? <laughs> Wait, though, because sometimes the debriefings don't happen right away. So that's not a fair question. No. So what had happened, what had happened was uh, <laughs> we have, uh, I have a great relationship. Our our firemen have a good relationship with the cops in that area. And um, my dog, which Delilah, you got to meet her uh, in the beginning. Her name is Delilah. It's my sweet Delilah. She's my best friend. And this is what the whole so cute. Um, she's a pity. Uh, my ex-wife, I had her, I didn't tell her what happened. I just told her, bring Delilah here to the firehouse. And she brought the dog to the firehouse. She cuddled with everybody. She's a big cuddler. And then one of the cops showed up and just said, does anyone want to talk? And, um, how we handled that stress was, uh, cracking jokes and, uh, being tough in front of each other. We were a very young crew that day. Um, did I have an EAP program come with, which is an employee assistance program? No, um, my battalion chief did come down and talk to us about it. But um, what I will say and what I will admit, because I've been through a couple of experiences like that when um, there's only certain people, some people might want to talk to and it might not want to be that program. It might be my best friend who is not in the fire service. I called him. I've called him plenty of times and I've cried on the phone. I've cried in it. Like I've just gave him a big hug and cried on him and just telling him what I've just went through. He has no idea what I do. I mean, he has no idea what it's like to be a fireman, but he's just somebody who I can be vulnerable to. And I couldn't do it to my ex-wife because of how she reacted. And then that also in return made a little bit of a, of a like butting heads a little bit when 
I need someone to be there for me and I've been there for you and you won't do it for me. And I feel like I'm not the only one that deals with that. There's no way I can be because if I have to deal with it, I'm not the very first person in the world to deal with it. So then my question on that is how can guys recognize if they're in a, not a toxic relationship, but with somebody who just doesn't understand. I think the first thing that you need to know is what, how much your spouse can handle. So, and I think being there for someone isn't necessarily having to listen to what just happened. It's more just sitting in silence and letting them have their moment. Um, and sometimes those moments are many. Um, so number one, like you have to ask your spouse how much they can handle and what, how much they want to know. Um, because it's not fair to put something on someone that's going to emotionally stress them out either. And that's not going to be good for you or them or anybody else. Secondly, how do you know if you're in a toxic relationship? I think we all know if we're in a toxic relationship, I think we know deep down that like, this is not working out. This person obviously does not want to be here for me and I don't want to be there for them and I don't want to be around it. So that's really personal. Um, I would say if you have more bad days than good days, that's a toxic relationship. <laughs> Period. I would say that's correct. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, if you cannot communicate without ripping each other's heads off, you need to go to therapy. And then you can let the therapist tell you if you're in a toxic relationship and whether it's going to work or not. You can come to an mutual agreement about that. Um, because I know that there's been plenty of times when we've gone to therapy because we couldn't work our own shit out, right? Um, yeah. Sometimes that's necessary. And I would advocate for just going to therapy because just to communicate, like. As a communication tool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just yeah. to, yeah. As a communication tool to get it to you know, it, it's always nice to have that little mediator in there, like every once in a while. So, um, but I want to go back to the previous question because Audra was in the middle of answering it. I'm like, wait, 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 but debrief, that's not a hard question, debrief, debriefing. Um, how can you prepare for those moments? Yeah. Educating yourself. Um, there's a plethora of information out there on mental health and our podcast included. Educate yourself. Um on the signs of PTSD and how to deal with them and who to call and what to do in those situations. Because even if you can't handle what they're about to tell you, you can at, very at the very least know who to call so that somebody can listen to their story. Um, and if they're in a really bad spot that can help them completely through it. Um, I don't know, Audra, do you have anything else to add? And compassionate uh curiosity. <laughs> Yeah. So I think, and I think like you said, so when, when you were vulnerable with your wife, was she like that every time you came to her and were vulnerable? I'm curious, or was it just ex-wife? Yeah, there there um, was a, there's just the ex-wife on that part. <laughs> Sorry. Out of that. <laughs> but yeah, so it was, um, it was every time. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't know if there was something wrong with me. And that's what the issue was. And I was constantly going back and 
I would sit there and talk with the guys at work about a lot of stuff, but there's only so much that you'd want to say, you know, because me being on the opposite side of this, I'm sure your husbands have explained this to you at some point in your marriages. But for me, you know, I'm not, you know, in that type of a relationship anymore. And I would say to the guys like, Hey, is this normal? And then I'd hear a lot of this. I'd hear this from them. Yeah. You know, my wife doesn't want to listen to it or she's to understand. I can't do it. It's not, uh, I don't believe that it's a hundred percent the wife's fault. I believe it's both on that end because it's communication on both sides. Um, but it just comes down to, does the person care, you know, in my head. And at the time I just didn't think she really cared. And, but I'm past that point now. So what can, uh, if we, I do want to know what is something with your guys' education on speaking with people, uh, speaking to people on your podcast about depression and anxiety and stress. What are some of the signs that the wives should be looking for or can recognize that, you know, he shouldn't be talking to me. He needs to talk to a therapist. He needs to talk to somebody more professionally uh, acquired for this. Okay. So first of all, I've been through this personally. So, and I don't, I don't know how I'm sure Audra has too. Um, one of the things that I've noticed when they do have a rough call and they need to go talk to someone is that they isolate. Um, and whether that be isolation through playing video games or isolation through checking out of the house or, you know, they just check out completely check out where for, for us, like my husband's pretty involved with our kids. Like he's, they're doing wood projects. They're going surfing. They're doing, you know, they're doing things all the time together. Um, when he stops interacting with my children, that's a problem. Um, and so I, I would say isolation, drinking too much, doing drugs, um, being kind of sad and mopey all the time. Um, thing like saying negative self-talk, maybe outbursts of anger that are not normal for them being impatient, um, not sleeping. These are all signs and it doesn't have to be like one or the other. It can be many of these things going on. But for me personally, it's, it's isolation and checking out. Um, yeah, I don't know, Audra. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, when there were some rough incidents, um, and I didn't know how to handle it, um, on some really severe, um, calls. Um, and there's one that my husband still talks about, um, that I think, I mean, years later still bothers him. Um, it was, um, just a horrible, horrible incident. And they got debriefing afterwards, but, um, for a long time, like you, similar to your call, he could not get it out of his head. Um, and it got to the point where it was, you could tell, um, he was not sleeping. He was almost combative. Um, anytime you talk to him about the simplest things, um, and just the pendulum of mood was just like, constant um and you never knew what person you were going to get when they came home um and when they were at home for four days you just didn't know and it got to the point where I didn't know what to do um and it was severely affecting our 
relationship and his relationship with the kids. And I said, okay, um, this is beyond both of our control. Um, this is beyond both of our capacity. You need to talk to somebody. And that's where, thank God, um, he found a culturally competent therapist and she was a freaking lifesaver. I mean, literally. Um, and he actually, it was really cool. He is now doing um, some peer counseling of his own. So he's been taking some classes and the last class that he took, his counselor was actually there on the speaking panel and he hasn't seen her in a few years. Um, and he was so excited that he got to see her again and thank her for literally teaching him how to cope and deal with traumatic events because he could not figure it out on his own. And I couldn't either. Um, so sometimes it doesn't matter how many articles you read, how many podcasts you listen to, all of those things, you need somebody sitting in front of you saying, okay, this is how your brain works. This is what you need to do to turn it off. Well, and I, um, I would add to that, like, even if you know those things, because I mean, Cameron knows those things. He is a peer counselor. Um, even if you yeah. know those things, it doesn't really matter. Like, well, sometimes you can't recognize trauma. It. You're going through mm -hmm. trauma. Like th there's mm -hmm. no, you, you can just throw the handbook out. Like, yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, I think it, it's, you know, it goes both ways. You really have to be keyed in to your spouse and you, just like we're moms, right? Chelsea and I are moms. So we're naturally keyed into our kids' feelings and emotions pretty much 24 seven. Like you can look at them and go, oh, they're pissed off about something. It's the same thing with your husband, right? You have to be so keyed into your spouse that you can look at them and go, uh-oh, we're going to, something's going to happen in a minute. Like, let's figure this out really quick before it explodes, right? It's the same concept. So it's, and it's, it kind of baffles my mind that I never would have even thought of this 10 years ago that like my husband also had feelings that were similar to the kids and that like I also had to be paying attention to him and his feelings because he was paying attention to mine and he knew that I was, you know, going to explode. Um, but I was like, eh, he's fine. Like he gets his two days at work. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't need me to think about him like that. And but that's the key right there. They're at work. So the, mm -hmm. he gets his time away from he gets the kids, his time right? away. That's, exactly. That's the, that's, yep. Mm -hmm. That's it right mm -hmm. there. That's, that's yeah. the key. Yeah. I've heard, so I've it's, actually heard wives say that too. Sorry to interrupt. I've actually heard, no, wives, no. Uh, excuse me. Uh, I've heard wives say that, well, he gets his time away and I get, I need, I don't get mine. I'm always here with the kids. I work and I take care of the kids. And I think that starts in uh, whose fault is that though? Like that, see, that's my question to them. Whose fault is that? Why, why are you always with the kids? Why are you not taking time to yourself? Yeah. Call a babysitter, phone a friend. Like that's just a lack of self-care. Yeah. Or if I you're in say, and that is not your mm -hmm. spouse's fault. That is your fault. Well, some people to be fair on their side might not have yes. the ability to be able to do that. And, uh, or, I, I might, but yeah, go ahead. Or like we have, we have many wives that my hour is my hour of self-care time and nothing disturbs it. So like the kids might have to like play a game by themselves or 
you know, watch a TV show or do whatever they're going to do. But my hour of this day is happening regardless. It's reading a book. It's exercising. It's, it doesn't have to be outside the home to be personal self-care time. Um, and I would say if you're not, if you're always with the kids and you're never getting time to yourself, that's still your fault. <laughs> like, there are ways to get away from your children in your house. I promise you. I have a friend who is, is a Navy wife and her husband's gone for nine months out of the year. And I literally called her one day because I had, my husband had been on, on shift for like 15, 16 days. And I was going absolutely berserk. It was a tough year. Um, and I called her and I was like, how, how do you deal with this for nine months at a time? And she's like, sometimes I lock myself in my room and I don't let the kids in. I give myself a timeout. And I think that was like the best piece of advice I was ever given. Like, give yourself a freaking timeout. Whose fault is it that you're not getting time to yourself? It's not your spouse's fault. It's not your kid's fault. It's your own fault. Well, and I think and there's a little bit more to be said about that. I think it's a societal issue too, is like women have been taught to think that they don't deserve their time out. And so this is us breaking that bullshit notion that you're not allowed to have your own time to yourself. That's just not never needed to be true ever. Mm-hmm. Like the kids are going to be fine. If you take an hour to yourself, even if you can't leave and physically be away from them mentally, you can escape them for an hour. Guys, an hour is two episodes of Caillou. Right. Bluey. Okay. We love Bluey. Like <laughs> we love Bluey. We love Caillou. Okay. Upset. <laughs> but he is a whiny little kid. That kid, I went back to Washington <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this kid will not stop bitching. He got he got shoved at a playground and got down and cried. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, like, Caillou's I, a little I, wuss, yeah. He's, a, he's wuss. a little wuss, but the kids love him. So as far yeah, as I'm concerned, that's two episodes of their favorite little cartoon. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So Matt, you don't have kids. No, I got a, okay. uh, her name is Delilah. She's a, a a furry daughter no oh well yeah okay furry pets they count as <laughs> um i have four furry pets in my house right now and i literally had to lock three of them outside like come on <laughs> I, I tell you what my dog has been let, let me shut this light off because it is way too much and then i'll come right back i look like i'm like in a halo over here so we're fine <laughs> Since we're not going to be posting the video of it, so now I look like a normal person. There you go. Um, the biggest thing for me is when I was going through a lot of my experiences, my dog was there for me. And I I noticed that if I was just around her, that's all I needed. Because she didn't say anything. And she'd come up next to me. She'd sit down. She'd snort a little bit. Cause she's a pity. <laughs> she just snorts. And then she just look at me and look right in my eyes. And I knew things are going to be okay. It was weird. It was kind of like my little, uh, like you have your little stress blankets or your weighted blankets and stuff like that to where, you know, things are going to be fine. And I didn't have to have someone stand there and tell me that it's going to be okay. So for me, that's what I really, <clears throat> really related with. And I count on her for a lot of that stuff. And before me to be able to deal with a lot of stress was to just start educating myself on something and getting my mind off of that topic, whatever that topic was. And typically that topic was, um, 
a call that we would have gone on at work and something just kind of stuck with me, but I did notice and I talked to, I did talk to actually Lieutenant Colonel Grossman about this was I went through one traumatic event, which was uh, my divorce, but four days after she left, I had my very first pediatric cardiac arrest and it didn't bother me. Not one bit the entire time. And it was weird because I remember, I remember sitting there. I remember, and I won't share too much uh, of it, but I was doing compressions for a little bit. And then I switched over to uh, do airway because of positioning that we had. And I'm just sitting there doing it. I'm just looking at her and she's a beautiful little baby. And I'm just staring at her. And I'm like, this ain't bad. This ain't real. Like it's not happening. My best friend's gone. And I just, the, tr- the experience of my best friend leave- choosing to leave me superseded that moment emotionally for me. And when I talked with him about that and he had a name for it, I don't remember the name for it because I'm not a psychologist or anything, but it was talking about traumatic experiences when you're, when they're binding up on each other, whichever the worst one's going to take precedent and everything else doesn't feel like it's a problem at all. And then that got me thinking the more I think about it is how often does that happen? Because at some point that's going to have to come back up at some point. It hasn't yet. Will it come back? I don't know. I've held a couple babies since, um, hasn't really popped up in my head yet, but at some point that's going to have to come back up and I'm going to have to face that. But then I get to thinking like, well, how do the wives deal with stuff like this? How, how do they, I know, I know that you said earlier setting boundaries, but is there at any point where there's going to be a time where you're going to have to, you're going to have to listen to anything or do you just say, this is something that I can't handle or I, I don't need to know this part of the story, but you need to talk to an actual therapist. Is that something that you've thought about or had to deal with either? Of I personally haven't dealt with that because I'm a pretty resilient person. I, I telling stories isn't going to really bother me. Like him telling me what happened at work is not, maybe it'll be sad and I'll have empathy for it, but it's not something I can't handle. Um, if it were my own children, like something were happening to them, absolutely. I would have probably just lose it. Um, but I think part of like being married is shared experience. So why would I not want to listen to him? And, you know, there is a certain point at which I cannot help him. And so I would say, I cannot help you. You need to go find some help. Um, or I think it would be beneficial if you talk to someone about this to help you work through it. Um, but I've never experienced like not wanting to listen to his story ever. He's yeah. I... Not wanting to tell it. <laughs> and yeah. there was a lot of that going on for a long time. And I think once he started to tell his stories, that's when our marriage actually like worked. Yeah. I will say um, there's been some times when I have cringed so bad um, with my husband telling me a story, um, but it's not like I would, I don't think I've ever been in the space where I've been like, oh my God, stop. Um, there's for sure been times when he started to tell me a story and I'd be like, you know what, right now, I don't know if I can handle this. Can we come back to it later? Or if you need to talk about it right now, um, I might not fully be present. I don't know. 
Um, the only ones that he has a hard time talking about are pediatric calls. Um, and I think just because like a lot, he's better now, but when the kids were little and he would have pediatric calls, those would be the worst. And he would literally, he would call me from, from work after those calls and ask to talk to the kids. Um, because I think that just kind of checked him back into like, okay, the, my kids are okay. This experience sucked, but I know my kids are okay. Um, and it helped him feel better about the situation. Um, so, um, there's definitely, I mean, and there's, there's been plenty of calls when I'm just like, Oh my God, like, but I've also literally, I've been there when he has had to do like, I'll tell you a really quick story. Chelsea, I don't know if you've ever had this experience and I think I've shared this before. So a year ago, um, we were driving down the, uh, two lane highway and, um, there was an accident right in front of us, motorcyclists. And, um, he was off duty. Obviously we had all the kids in the car. Um, and it was raining long story short motorcyclist and his daughter was on the back of the motorcycle. Um, he, ran head on into a truck, two cars in front of us. And we pulled over to the side. My husband got out. Um, cause when you're in firefighter mode, you're doesn't matter if you have your gear or not. Um, he ended up, uh, helping the patient and the daughter. Um, and he, the patient lost his leg. My husband lost his belt because he used his belt as a tourniquet. It was complete chaos right in front of me. Um, and, I was telling my kids to close their eyes, not look like I didn't want them to see, you know, what was going on. Um, and I watched my husband walk back to our car completely glossy eyed. Like I had never seen him and I mean, we've been married for 20 years. So I've seen him in all kinds of predicaments. And that was really the first time when I registered like, holy shit, he does this every day. And like walk, watching him walk back to the car, sit in the car and him kind of process what just happened and him go, first thing he says is I need a new belt. And I'm like, why, what, what happened to your belt? And he's like, I had to use it as a tourniquet. This guy, you know, this guy lost his leg. And I'm like, what the, like this all happened right in front of us. And it was literally the first time I was like, oh my God, like, this is the kind of shit that he sees every single day. And it never really occurred to me before how much you have to process this stuff every day. Right. And how it compounds on you over time. So, um, it really kind of changes your perspective. I think when you actually are kind of watching your husband at work, even though he wasn't really at work. So it gives you a lot more room for empathy and sympathy and understanding, uh, and compassion because, we see it in real life. Um, so I, I think there's one, there's like something that he said about the spouses who kind of are easy to disassociate from that because they have never seen it and they have never experienced it. Right. Um, not saying go on a ride along with your spouse. If you can't handle it, I don't think that's a good idea, <laughs> but 
if you really want to understand like a little bit more of what your spouse deals with on a daily basis at work, maybe do go on a ride along. Um, I mean, there, there's been times when we've been up at the station having dinner or lunch and the tones go off and they get up and go and you still hear on the radio um, that your firefighter is now in a burning building and you're sitting at the station eating lunch and just listening. It gives you a different perspective um, and it makes you, I think, it forces you to pay attention a little bit more to your husband. Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, that's, uh, I think that's why I, I, I don't, it, the calls don't bother me um, when he comes home and wants to talk about it. But also I, Audra, mm-hmm. drop scanner. <laughs> and I will say Chelsea is very good about getting me to turn off the freaking scanner when he's on a fire, when there's anything major, I don't have any, like my pulse point does not go off at all anymore. Not even in, oh, sorry. No, not even in the city. I, I just, I'm, if there's sirens going by, I'm like, okay, great. I'm going on with my life. Um, a woman named Frosty and her husband was on my podcast. Terrific episode. Uh, his name's Steve Doman. He's passed away recently. Um, one of my best friends, but, um, when I spoke with Frosty about it, Steve was at one of the busiest firehouses, uh, in Indianapolis and, he was in he was in it from the 60 uh, 70s or 60s all the way up until the early 2000s a ton of experience um actually over half the stuff in this room is actually from him but frosty would say that she used to listen to the scanner and she finally had to turn it off when she heard that a firefighter went down and he ended up passing away and it was actually part of the crew that uh one of the fires that Steve was on and she just thought it was him for sure. And there, he's had a few of his uh, times where he had to go to the hospital and transported and she'd hear it over the radio um, <clears throat> or the scanner when they're saying they're transporting a firefighter to the hospital. And she said, I just had to stop. I had to stop listening to it. And that kind of just makes it, you know, because I think now with the guys that, that I'm friends with and I work with and their wives and, are they worried when they go, they go to shift? Is it just another one of the days where, cause obviously it can, it, a fire could happen at any point. Do we get a lot of fires at Greenwood? No, but it doesn't say that it won't happen at some point. Um, I wanted to ask you ladies about a question for the single guys out there that are going to be going in towards the relationship status with uh, a woman or whichever their preference is. But what is something that is they're going to need to look for in a spouse? Because obviously I missed the I missed the uh, red flags, obviously. But what's going to be something that they're going to have to look for for a a suitable spouse that's going to be a fire wife or for the women for their husbands? That is a loaded question again, Matt, I swear. Um, I mean, because I'll tell you, I, I'm not the person I was 20 years ago when when I married my guy and he wasn't even a firefighter when we got married he wasn't even a paramedic when we got married um so what advice would i give somebody looking for a spouse that first responder looking for a spouse um well i will i mean for me personally um i am very well, I, I, I've always been very comfortable being by myself. 
Um, and there are so many moments when I'm still by myself and I'm completely okay with that. So I think the number one thing is um, to make sure that the person that you're with is very comfortable being alone because you spend a lot of time by yourself. Um, and I think, um, you have to be very compassionate, um, when it comes to, I mean, just in general though, like that's just for anybody, I think, uh, and you have to be communicative because it's important. Um, but I, I, I don't know. Uh, it, it's such a, I mean, the question varies so much. It really depends on the person, but I think the number one thing for me is honestly, you have to make sure people are okay with being by themselves because that's, I think that's one of the biggest issues probably in, in first responder world is that the spouses don't know what to do when they're by themselves. I don't know. What do you think, Chelsea? I would add you, like you said, compassionate, but I, I would say selfless because honestly, like if you're marrying a selfish person, like if you know right away that they're like not going to be able to put other people before themselves, like that's, that's a no brainer. Like you're obviously a selfless person. If you're a first responder, um, you're always putting other people first and there are going to be times when your spouse has to let you do that. And if they're selfish, you, they, they won't be able to. And so I would add to, you know, independent, selfless, compassionate. Those are the three main things I would say you're looking for. And as easy, I mean, try to be easygoing. Like it's not, you're going to go through phases where you're not easygoing, <laughs> but I think, you know, for the most part, you have to, you have to be pretty, um, go with the flow in this kind of chaos. Cause it's just, you can't be so rigid. It's just not possible. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a very rigid person by nature, so it doesn't always work for me. Um, and I've had to really, really let go of a lot of stuff. Um, and it's been extremely helpful and like, be willing to change because like I said before, there's nothing consistent about this line of work it changes every day. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and you know, just be comfortable with change and yeah, cross your fingers. I don't know. It's <laughs> rewarding thing about being married to a fireman. Rewarding. <clears throat> there are none. <laughs> Absolutely none. It's it's shit. It's the worst thing I've ever done. <laughs> I think the most rewarding thing is we get to we get to have that selfless person because they do anything for us. Yeah. They'll do anything for people they hardly know. Imagine what they'll do for us. Yeah. People that yeah. Know. yeah. That's a good one. I mean, I on and to be honest with you, full transparency, the reward is um the vacations are very nice like <laughs> the 10 day vacation is great like oh great when you start really feeling sorry for yourself just remember you get a paycheck and a vacation like right that's seriously that's yeah. we, we call that the overtime dilemma like we want them to have the overtime pay but we don't want them to be gone 
Like mm-hmm. <laughs> you're talking about. So uh, Audra, I, I'm curious. It sounds like your husband does 4896s. Is that true? Yes. Okay. Be honest about that schedule. Do you like that schedule? I mean, I've gotten used to it. Um, he worked for uh, Cal Fire for two years. So he was on, he worked 96, 48, and that was absolute misery um, for me personally. But he only worked there for two years. I probably would have gotten used to it over time. Um, but I absolutely hated the fire season. I mean, I still hate the fire season, but I've learned to adapt to it. So um, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. 48 is like, and it never is 48 turns into 72, sometimes 96, like who knows? Um, But it's all I've known for 15 years. So I don't even flinch really most of the time. Chelsea. I'm just thankful when he actually only has to work 72 hours. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like if he actually gets his days off this week, it's a miracle. So, yeah. Yeah. My schedule mm-hmm. is 24, 48. So obviously 24 on 48 off. So I, it's every third day. So it's what's, what's the struggle for me was the first day I'd come back is kind of your, decompressing like this morning i came off work like i got off work this morning i'm still exhausted i'm still tired did i sleep most of the night last night yeah we got up once last night which is pretty good but then operating the whole entire day and then tomorrow morning like i did sleep in till tonight for tomorrow till tomorrow morning and then i prep tomorrow night to go to the shift the next morning so it's just it's constant i only have about 14 hours really to myself Mm mm-hmm so I didn't know because the talks of what I've been wanting to have with the guys is switching to a 4896. And that's going to be a discussion that the wives are going to have to be in on as well to see what the pros and cons are, if they'd be able to want to swing that. I just didn't know if if that's something that if your husband ever did a 2448 or any other type of schedule, then switch to a 4896 to see what he thought on it or what you think. No, the year he came on was the year that they switched out of the Kelly schedule, which that's what we called it. Um, it was like 24 on 48 off 24 on 96 off. I don't know. It was something weird. I think there's only one station or one department that still does it like that in, in the state. Um, but I would say like you said, so the 48 hours is great because he's at work, whatever, when he comes off and he's actually off for 96, he has like that first day to kind of come home and decompress. And then he is actually present for two days. And then on the fourth day, he starts winding back up. We call it the Sunday scaries, not always on a Sunday when he starts really winding up about what he's going to do, you know, what training he's doing, who is he working with, what, who's making dinner, blah, 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 all those things. So, um, I can see how 24, 48 is not enough time to come home and actually decompress and be present because it's being present is a huge thing. And it's, it, that's not enough time to be actually present. So I have a question about the 24, 48. So do you work your 24, 48, and then you do that like two two shifts, and then you get like more Another days, three off. days off. Is it like a Kelly schedule? Yeah, there's no Kelly day. Uh, my department's different. We don't have a Kelly day. Instead, we just have overtime pay that's built into our uh, forty eight to seventy two. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, you know how firemen they they hate two things, right? They hate change and they hate the way things are right now. 
So <laughs> the problem that I'm having with, and there's a few guys that are having this issue is um, trying to build in something that's less stress. And a lot of our guys, we've, my department, um, the last few years we've had multiple suicides. We've had, uh, we just had a police officer commit suicide recently. We had uh, a firefighter last year commit suicide. Uh, I was, I was friends with the guy. And uh, then a couple of years prior, we had a guy who committed uh, about 10 years ago. We had a guy commit suicide, nine years ago, 10 years ago, guy commit suicide. And then just a handful of years ago, another one of our guys committed suicide. And it has been something that the talks started to happen about, uh, mental health a little bit. And then our, our EAP program got started, uh, in my eyes, I do not like our EAP, EAP program at all. I don't. Um, and I'm very I'm vocal about that kind of stuff. And, but I, I also give constructive criticism on it. It's, it's, we we're too, we're a young department. We're becoming more of a young department. We're mostly a full, mostly a full-time department. Um, but it's just, we're, we're not, we're not, we're reluctant for change. And with the scientific studies about the lack of sleep, the interrupted REM sleep with uh, stress and depression and anxiety is, is that we're now realizing how much of an effectiveness this is in the fire service and first responders in general. Um, changing a shift schedule alone will help out reducing your risk of diabetes, cancer, stroke, heart attack, anxiety, depression, the list goes on and on just by having a little bit more sleep. Um, it's just guys just don't want to change that up and getting, getting the qualified people, people who do that schedule, which I've been looking for somebody who does that schedule. And, uh, I was actually about to contact some guy out of Las Vegas to ask him about that 4896. So if I might, if you don't mind, if I talk to your husband about the 4896, see what he thinks. Um, that would be beneficial in what their department does. Oh yeah. Perfect. So, um, mm-hmm. but that was something I that, even, I, was... I mean, I don't know. I think the 72 hour shift is pretty, pretty awesome too. Like the state does it. Um, so it's three days on four days off or four days on three days off. Um, and that seems that, that three days off seems to be enough. So if they don't want to go. 72 what is it 96 48 yeah 48 96 yeah 48 96 so they work 48 they're off 96 maybe the 72 would be a good compromise i think i think the 48 96 would be amazing (laughs) (laughs) just because the studies with your recommended sleep schedules because like um i did i did do this with my ex-wife when i was married i did highlighted bears um, I don't know if you can see her. No, no, you don't want to jump. She's a good girl. Um, but I know what I did with my ex-wife was when I came home, I was like, I need to sleep. Like give me until noon for me to sleep and then we can talk or, um, I'd sleep in at work and then come home later. And that was something that sleep was an extremely important factor in how my day was going to go. And if I had a lack there of it, then the day was not going to go well. But if I had a sufficient amount of sleep, the day was going to go pretty well. And um, Audra, do you have to get to your meeting? I said uh, I've got about five minutes. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> what is it that you guys think that the fire service is heading towards in mental health? Do you see it going in a positive role or a negative role? 
or is it kind of being straight line? It's positive, but it's very slow. It's very slow. I think like everything in the fire service. Yeah. They move at a snail's pace here. I mean, it's like, um, like for departments like yours who have had suicides, um, and they don't have some kind of peer counseling or debriefing or, okay. Yeah. I mean, that should be like your number one priority right now, um, is your guys' mental health and, you know, it sounds like your schedule, um, because I'd be curious to see the studies, which I'm sure they don't include this in how their marriages, um, when they switch to a 4896, um, I'm, I'd be curious to see what the wives say, um, if it's better. Um, and my thought would be that it would be better because they'd be at home a little bit more. Um, but, um, and the mental health side, yeah, I think there's always room for improvement and there's about, uh, miles of room for improvement and, first responder world it's getting better it's very slow i think just in the last few years it's actually sped up a a bit yeah um i feel like there's a lot of emphasis at least in our state department there's a lot of emphasis being put on mental health um because they are realizing that uh all these campaign fires have taken their toll on on our department in particularly um and so I think the spotlight is on the mental health piece of firefighting. That being said, it's not enough. And yeah, we can definitely do better. Absolutely. Is that, is that mental health is always going to be that car that we're chasing that we're just not fast enough to grab? I think so. And I think because it, for two reasons, number one, because there's not enough culturally competent health professionals in the world to cover the vast majority of the topics. Um, and number two, like you said, firefighters are afraid of change. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, we don't like change and we don't like what's happening right now. So those things combined are going to, we're always going to be chasing down the car, like you said. Awesome. I think the good thing about um, the current like influx we're in with, well, like with my husband's department in, in particular, I don't know about yours, Chelsea, but they're the younger guys that are being hired are, it seems like for the most part, much more in tune with the fact that they do need mental health services and they don't want to be working 7,000 overtimes. I think they're taking um, themselves into account a lot more than they were before. That's my experience with my husband's department. The guys that are, um, being hired on are, um, I don't want to say selfish, but they're definitely paying more attention to their wives, their families themselves, um, more than I have seen in the guys that are retiring. And Uh, I honestly can't, I honestly can't speak to that in a current affairs state because my husband doesn't really work in a station anymore. So mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening on station level, but what I can say is that because the emphasis is being put on mental health, it's cool to get help now. It's not like 
Yeah. It's not frowned upon anymore and it's top down. So every single person that goes through Academy now with the state department has to go through resiliency training. So it's, it's not like it used to be where there, it was never talked about. I think we talked to a professional who it was like, they went through a training and it was like one slide for mental health, like resilience training, like one uh-huh. entire slide. Um, that's not the case anymore. It's an entire like week now. So, oh, yeah. and it's with Susan Farron and her team. So, I mean, you can't get better than that. Can you? Mm, we love Susan. <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll, we'll shoot you. A, we'll introduce you to Susan. Yeah, we'll introduce you to Susan. She's really, I would love that. Um, but I think there's a healthy balance and I do know that you have to keep going. I'll, I'll make this final comment and then we can open up to what you guys want to say for the end. Um, there's a healthy balance between being so openly to mental, mental health and awareness of it and um, abiding to everyone's uh, emotions. But it also, I think, can hurt a lot of things as well, because if I baby, here's how I think about it. My parents live in the city that I serve, right? Oh man, the camera. It doesn't really matter because we're not recording. Um, my parents live in the city that I serve. If we're babying every single person on the entire department over a course of 15, 20 years, we're not going to have a whole lot of tough people, mentally tough people. Now, maybe I'm wrong on that. Let's say I'm wrong on it. Um, but if we're abiding to everyone's little emotions that they have and and not bending and bending our knees to everything that they've been upset by. How can I expect them to make the very difficult, very difficult decisions on whether they're going to go in or not? Because it's scary. Like, I can't face that. That's a huge fear of mine going inside there. Because like, when do we stop at some point and say, you're going to have to be able to be mentally tough for this? Now, I do understand mental health is something that it's, it's a real thing. But when do we take it? When does it go too far? Well, if you're scared of going into a fire, maybe not the job for you. Yeah. There are people out there that are scared that still work. That's the thing. I think it's okay to be afraid of fire because you should have a healthy respect for what you're, what, what you're putting on the line every time you go in. That being said, I think mental toughness is two things, right? It can be both. You can be keenly aware of what's going on with your body and mind every single time you're exposed to trauma and also be mentally tough. And I would argue that in order to be mentally tough, you have to understand mental health. You have to understand Mm -hmm. that the body and the mind are connected. So if you have a healthy fear of fire, that's a good thing. (laughs) Like, I don't see any problem with that. Um, Because if you're not mentally fit, then you're not going to be able to go into the fire. And I think this is the thing, like you, we, the young ones, like I live by this with my kids, be scared, but do it anyways. Right. So like Chelsea was saying, you can be scared, but you have to be able to overcome that. And mental health training is going to teach you how. Right. So it's not babying them. I mean, I I hate using that term. I think that's, that's very antiquated thinking. Um, We're not babying them and we're not like capitulating to what, you know, their needs, I guess, but 
we're bringing awareness to, yeah, okay, this is normal. Your reaction is normal. How do we overcome this? How do we get past this? That's what the mental health training is supposed to do, right? And if you can't get past it, okay, then maybe this is not the job for you and we need to find you something else, right? So that's the mental health part of it is teaching them to be aware of what they're scared of, how their body reacts, all of those things so that they can either move on and still do the job or say, okay, actually, I can't do this. Well, and I think too, like, it's not so much sitting around and like letting them be babied, right? It's sitting, it's, it's having open conversations about, okay, we just went to a really extremely tough call guys. We're sitting around the dinner table now, or, you know, sitting in our recliners, watching the football game or whatever we're doing after this call. And it's having an open discussion about how it made us feel. It's not so much like saying, okay, that made me feel terrible. I'm not going to go back on another call in five minutes. It's that really was tough for me personally. And this is how I'm going to deal with it. And then getting back on the horse and going again, like, yep, right. Yep. So that's the mental health that I want to see us being able to openly discuss our feelings at a, at a dinner table and not have a bunch of pushback and sarcasm about it. Yeah. Or people making us feel stupid about the way we feel. Yep. Or, or not being able to feel anything because that's not tough enough and that you're not a firefighter yeah. if you don't feel like that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> yep. That's how we'll end it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, we can end it like that. I'm glad we cleared that up because in the political climate today, when they say mental health, it's it's completely separate. And I've been involved in some of that stuff. And it's ba- I, at that point, it is babying to every you know considerable thing when kids in college are needing cry rooms. That's what a lot of guys see today when they hear mental health for the fire service. But I want a cry room. Right? I don't want a cry room. I, don't, I want a nap room and a cry room. That's it. That sounds amazing. Oh whatever I'm at at the time. That's my cry room. Uh, <laughs> ladies, thank you so much for coming on and, and and insightfully educating me on a lot of the stuff that you guys do for your podcast. Uh, again, where can you have your fo- podcast be found at and what's your Instagram handle name and all that stuff? Well, thanks for having us, Matt. This was actually really fun. Um, we don't usually do this. We like being um, the interviewer so being the interviewee is always kind of interesting um but we're on instagram at dear chiefs podcast and we have a website dearchiefs.com um and we're on spotify we're on apple we're on all the things you can just go directly to our website and listen to all of our podcasts and um laugh at our reels and all of our funny stuff we do online well again thank you both so much chelsea if you anything to add Nope. I think she covered it. So when I go to end this, just don't leave yet, but thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Thanks for having us. There we have it. We're at the very end of the podcast. Thank you so much for sticking all the way around to the very end. I know that sometimes it can be very long and you don't have a whole lot of time in your really busy schedules, raising kids, having families, working all the time, having your own hobbies. But to me, it means a lot that you've stuck around all the way to the end. If I earned it and I deserve it, and you think I deserve it, go ahead and like and subscribe to this channel if you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening to it on Spotify or Apple or anything else. If I deserved it and you think I earned it, please follow me or subscribe to that channel. Also, please follow Dear Chiefs Podcast on Instagram as well. Let them know what you thought, what you thought of the episode, things that you've related with and things that you know you think that you you didn't understand before, but you do now. 
If you want to follow me on Instagram, I would like it as well. It is more with Stumpo podcast. Again, thank you so much. It really does mean a lot to me and I hope you have a blessed day.